We have um, talked in the past, last two parts of prayers are not answered. And we talked, first of all, about the need for faith, uh, primarily in part number one. In part number two, we talked about um, being a servant, uh, walking in obedience to the Lord. And those are the things that I believe Scripture says God is looking for in each one of our lives if he's to hear us and answer our prayers. And so <clears throat> it's important that we understand just a basic principle. We are to be in relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about that fellowship that we're to have with the Father, fellowship with the Father. It's twice in the New Testament. It says we're to have fellowship with him. With the Holy Spirit, again, it says twice at two different places. We're to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But with Jesus, it says three times we're to have fellowship with him. Now, that's the way I counted them. You might find others that would even increase those numbers. But the, the key is he created us to fellowship with us, to enjoy us. I can't help but thinking of it of a man who would, would find himself a good wife with the purpose of not only loving and being loved, but to raise a family and to have the joy of children and see them growing up and coming into the place of adulthood, all the joys that would go with that. Well, you might not have seen that in this society that we live in. It's very far and few between. But it is possible, and I thank God that the family I came from and the family my wife came from were good, solid families. The parents loved the children. They enjoyed the children. And so I go back to that, and I said, Lord, I, because you've called yourself the, the, the husband and the church your wife, you've called us your wife, you're not doing it for any other reason except to try to help us learn what it's like to have a family and to enjoy that family. So he wants to enjoy us. He calls us his children. Back in the Old Testament, before Jesus had shed his blood and then risen from the dead after his death, they were called children of Abraham or children of Isaac or children of Israel. But in the New Testament, we're told children of God because Jesus died so that we could become a child of God. Why did he do all that? Because he wants to fellowship with us. He wants to be in communion with us. And that's the whole essence of what Christianity is about. Being a child of God, pleasing him, giving him pleasure. It says in Psalm 100, he created us for his pleasure. How clear can we get it? He created us for his pleasure. That's why he wants us to sit Read his letters to him that he sent to us, pardon me. Read the writings of the prophets and the writings of the New Testament to enjoy him. And while you're reading, to speak to him and talk with him. It's very common in Scripture. I've heard people say this. They read something and they, in their heart they say, I want to be that way. And so they pray it right there and then. You say, Father, I want to be like that, you know. Later on, I'm going to talk about a man named Joseph. 
in another, in another teaching. But you see, the thing that about Joseph, the way he responded to injustice, I cry out to God and say, Lord, I want to be like that. That's what it's in there for. First Corinthians 10, twice in that chapter, again in Romans 15, Paul says this, three times he's saying it. The Old Testament is there to learn from it, that we won't make their mistakes. We learn how to respond to God and how to walk before him and live before him. And the example's there so we don't make the same mistakes. How logical that we already have examples of how we're supposed to be living so that we can walk in obedience to him. If we are not in fellowship with him, if we don't communicate with him, why should he answer our prayers? Why should he? He's probably sitting in heaven and saying, wonder who that is that's asking me these things. Now, I know that's an exaggeration. He knows each one of us. But let me emphasize, he is looking for children that will relate to him, sit on his lap and talk with him, sit at his feet and love on him and talk to him. That's what he's looking for. That's not too hard. That's what, that's what the first commandment is all about. Spending time with him saying, I love you more than anything else. That's why I'm giving you my time. You're more important than anything else. You're more important than cutting the grass. You're more important than washing the car. I'm just gonna spend some time with you and then I can do those things later. You see, I keep telling people that say, oh, I'm just so busy, I haven't got time to read the word, I haven't got time, I'm just so, well then you're out of the will of God because why would he tell you to do things that make you so busy you don't have time for him, the very thing he created you for. And so here we are, folks. We're a people created to give pleasure to God. We are not a people created to just go to him when we need something and ask him for it. That's not what we're created for. He doesn't mind us coming and asking. As a matter of fact, there's one place Jesus says, you, you, have, you have not because you've asked not. Another place, he says, you haven't got because you haven't asked, and therefore your joy is incomplete. And so we have this plan that God dreamed up a way back there somewhere. And the whole thing was, I want to have children I can enjoy. He is a father. He wants to have children he can enjoy. So prayer is when I come to him. Prayer has basically been understood. That thing, which I have my list of all the things I want, and I say to God, I want this, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that. God said, that's not a, not a good relationship when the only time you come is, I want this. That's not a good relationship. And so, my concern over prayers that are not answered is, am I not spending quality time with the Lord Paul talks about the sufferings he went through in prison and beatings and so on, the jail. He talks about those sufferings as bringing him close to the Father. 
He said, the fellowship of your sufferings. And I've been through some sufferings. And as I lay there in a hospital bed, I began to realize my fellowship with the Father was lacking. And I needed to make a decision. What is the most important thing in my life right now? What is the thing that stands before God in my love and appreciation? And he had to deal with some things in my life. I've asked him to forgive me. I want very much for the Holy Spirit to be there with me. And so, let's look at some scriptures. First John chapter 3, uh, verses um, 21 and 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In other words, if I'm clear from sin, I have confidence to stand there and receive from him anything we ask, okay? So first of all, I'm clean before. I've asked for the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from any sin. I've asked him to show me sin like David did in Psalm 139. Search my heart. Oh, Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. We need to do that on a regular basis. Just say, Lord, I want to make sure I'm clean before you. Nothing is condemning me. My heart is clear. And then he says, you will receive from him what we ask. There's where many of our prayers are answered because we're not really coming in with clean hands and a pure heart. Because... We obey his commands and do what pleases him. Oh, obedience is part of this. I opened that up in the last part, part two, but now I'm emphasizing it. It says if we obey and please him, he'll give us what we ask for. And so I need to, I need to clarify something. There are things that we ask for that are not the right timing, so we won't get them. And if we say, well, I didn't get it, so therefore I guess I've got similar, that's not the way to look at it. Just deal with sin first. Ask him to expose it. That's what the Holy Spirit for, is to convict man of sin. And so we deal with it, and if he doesn't answer, it's maybe not his timing yet, Maybe it's not the best thing for us. I remember hearing a pastor, an evangelist actually speaking one time, and he was talking about prayer. And he said, I'm God. I'm so glad God didn't answer all of my prayers. And he referred back when he's a, close to 20, he'd, he was going with a girl, and he wanted so much to marry her, and he asked God to make sure that she became his wife, and something happens that didn't work. He married somebody else. 25 years later, he runs into this girl, and he comes back, and he says, the Lord, thank you for not answering my prayer. I don't know why. I'm not saying she was bad luck. It's just that the wife he got probably fit so good in his life, he was glad that he married her. So God didn't answer prayer. He has reasons sometimes. So please be patient with him. We need that patience, Lord. Give us patience with you. Now, unrepented, unconfessed, and unresolved sin 
will keep our prayers from being heard. So there's three things there, unrepentant, unconfessed, unresolved. So let's look at them. Um, Psalm 66, first of all. Psalm 66 is uh, one that you should have memorized, I guess, okay? Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished, in the word, the word cherish means to enjoy, to really hold on to. If I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And one of my teachers, Derek Prince, said this. He says, our job isn't to get God to answer our prayers. Our job is to get them to, him to hear them. And so if I'm holding on to sin, and I may even be enjoying that sin, Lord's not even listening. He doesn't hear. And again in Isaiah 59, the first two verses, Isaiah saying much the same thing. It says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. In other words, he, he can save us, he can hear us. But, oh, I don't like it when buts come up. But your iniquities, your sin is another word for iniquities, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, those two verses, you can't ignore them. If God's not answering your prayers, maybe you need to come back, say, okay, I need to search, ask the Lord to search my heart. Because yes, maybe it's not the right timing. Yes, maybe it's not God's will. He knows it would mess me up if he'd give me that answer, if he provided for me. But you see, there's a chance that he's not answered because of something in our hearts. And so my advice to you is to simply say, Holy Spirit, search my heart. Take time. Close the closet doors, the Bible says. Your bedroom door, your, your living room door. Do it. Cut out the rest of the world for a little while. Say, Lord, search my heart. The most precious place that my wife and I have found to do that is in the house group that we have in our home. What a, a blessed time every, every night when we go to start. Once a week, we spend time saying, Lord, search our hearts. Before we sing our songs, before we lay our prayer requests before you, before I, if I do any teaching at all or whatever, before anything starts, we say, Lord, is there anything within me that would keep you from hearing what I'm saying, what I'm asking for, whatever. Do you understand the need for that? Listen, God sets the standard. It's for our benefit because not only do I get prayers answered, I get eternal life out of it. I get the blessing of the Lord because obedience produces his blessing. If you don't believe me, read Deuteronomy 27, 28, and 29. Read them, even Deuteronomy 11. He starts it out there. And here in the New Testament, he said, if you obey me, then I will give you what you ask for. So the key to obedience is to first understand what it means to be repentant. Romans 2, 4 to 6 says, do not show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience. Just a minute. His kindness. His kindness is a rich gift, it says. His kindness says, 
24 hours a day, seven days a week, every month, every year, until the day I die. He's given me the gift of oxygen. I want somebody to explain to me how a tree, whether it be in the Amazon jungle or up here in my country of Canada or anywhere, how can a tree pull from the dirt it's sitting in whatever it needs to produce oxygen? I'll tell you what, because it, it has God ordering it in a kind, gentle way to us. He's ordering that tree to produce oxygen and, of course, leaves and branches and trunk and bark and sap and all the stuff that goes with it, all out of dirt. And so he produces, in his kindness, oxygen for me every moment. If there was no oxygen, I would be toast. Everybody else would be too if all of a sudden it was gone. There wouldn't be anybody to bury me or weep over me. Nothing. I would just be gone. Even the animals would die so they couldn't eat me. Birds would die so they couldn't feed on me. And then there's tolerance. He puts up with a lot. I don't know about you, but I sure know about me. He put up with a lot. And then there's patience. You know, patience has produced a thing we call mercy, where mercy says, God says, yes, they, they come into sin, but I'm going to wait with the hopes that they'll repent and return to me. That's what mercy means. He said of Israel, I haven't brought judgment. And there's only one time I know he said that. I haven't brought judgment yet. Eventually he had to. But I haven't brought it yet because I'm hoping they would come back to me. You know, a father that has a wayward son or daughter and that wayward son daughter is gone and they haven't heard from him for months. They don't know if he's in drugs. They don't know if he's dead. They don't know what has happened to him. But he still hopes. He still has patience. He still prays. Well, see, my father in heaven's like that. He's still hoping. If, if I'm not walking with him, I'm living in disobedience, he is still there hoping that I'll come back. Let's go on to verse 4. Not realizing that God's kindness, and I've been talking about his kindnesses, everything about his tolerance and patience is, is, is kindness. That should lead us to repentance if we only understood it. But see, we're so, we're so brainwashed into saying there is no God. We accept all this stuff as just a fable. And you see, somewhere we have to come down to laying your head in the pillow at night, turning off the lights in your bedroom, and ask yourself the question, how does a green tree know how to draw stuff out of dirt and make oxygen and leaves and twigs and branches and trunk? And how does it know what to draw? You need to ask yourself that question. Let's go on with Romans 2. But because of your stubbornness, see, in the, ver in the verse 4 he's saying, God has done all this stuff for us. But because of your stubbornness in verse 5 and your unrepentant heart, 
That was a description of this guy for a number of years. Then it says, you are storing up wrath for yourself. I'm sorry, against yourself for the day of God's wrath. I'm going to read that line again. You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. I do not believe God is a God of wrath. Our disobedience puts that wrath into his heart. He doesn't like it. He wants to get rid of it. He sent Jesus to die to pay for it, but we have to re humble ourselves and say, yes, I'm guilty of that sin before it's taken away by the blood of Jesus. Then he says, this is when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So you might say, oh, why does God, why doesn't he just let us go to sin? No, he's a, a God of justice. He called himself a just and holy God back when he appeared to, and to Abraham and those different eight patriarchs back there. He appeared to them. Did it with Moses on the cliff. Well, you see, you couldn't, he couldn't call himself just if he didn't deal with sin. To be a just person, you have to deal with sin. You have to deal with what's wrong. The courts are supposed to be just and deal with every violation of the law, of the land. Doesn't always happen that way, but that's where it's supposed to be in the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of warnings to judges who don't judge justly, who take bribes. Read it sometime in Proverbs. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Do we need to elaborate on that? I don't think so. Second thing is we need to understand what it means to confess our sins. Acts 19, verse 18. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Please don't accept the teaching that says once you've uh, once you've been born again, you've confessed. That does it for life. That's not what these Bibles verses say. The repentance one does it. Don't forget the ones I just talked to you on repentance. Was, that letter was for the church, not the world out there. It's true for the world too, but it's for the church. And this is for the church as well. Are we getting there, folks? We need to confess. What does it do? It humbles us. In humility, God hears us. In humility, his grace is there. If I don't humble myself, that's pride, and he's opposed to the pride. It's like having a door open, closed in my life. I don't want you to see me the way I am. That's pride. Humility says, I want you to see me just the way God sees me. I'm not hiding anything. We don't do that with everybody in a 300-seat um, auditorium filled with people. We can do it in our house groups. We can do it with our family. Confess our stuff before him. Third, we need to understand what it means to resolve our sins. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So he's saying here, if you've, if you've violated a relationship, you need to do something about it. Therefore, in verse 23, 
if you're offering your, your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother is something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled. Be reconciled means to make things right to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. It says matter, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. So you realize you've done something wrong. You wouldn't be going to court if you hadn't. And so therefore, get it straightened out. It's very important, folks, that we reconcile. All through the Old Testament, it's very clear. If I stole somebody's lamb, I had to replace it with maybe two or three. I don't exactly remember the number. If you stole his coach, you had to repay him and give him something above. Like, we had to be reconciled. New Testament, Jesus said, you have to be reconciled. Now, this whole thing of asking the Lord if there's something wrong in my heart, in the first and second part, I talked about having um, a, a right heart before God, a servant's heart, not a selfish heart, but a servant's heart. Listen to Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel 14, verse 3. Son of man... These men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? So let me draw you the, 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 the situation. They're in captivity, and the, and the remnant, instead of being in Babylon, had gone up to Babylon to be, or Egypt, pardon me, to be safe there. And so this remnant that was supposed to stay in the land of Judah and look after the farms and stuff, had, had gone in disobedience to the word of the Lord. And now they're saying to Ezekiel, we want, we want you to inquire of the Lord for us. They're in total disobedience. God has already said, if you go to Egypt, not one of you will return. You'll all die by the sword. But they've ignored that and said, oh, we need to hear from God. Therefore, speak to them and tell them, God says in verse 4, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. What was their idolatry? We don't feel secure here in Judah. We're afraid somebody might attack us. So we're going to go up to Egypt and live there where we'll be protected by the Egyptian government. God says, no, I don't want you going there. Ezekiel had actually prayed. It took him, um, it took, he knew it was wrong. Jeremiah had knew it was wrong. Jeremiah spent 10 days waiting on the Lord for an answer. He said, stay here. But they said, no, we're going. Now God is saying, you've got an idol in your heart. You're looking after yourself. You think, I can't help you. I can't protect you. Therefore, I will answer you in keeping with the idol that's in your heart instead of really what my will is. You need to repent of disobeying me and go on back home. But they weren't interested in this. God says in verse 5, I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. So he's saying, I'm going to give them what they want, but what they want has to do with their, their, their sinful desires, their selfish desires. I'll give it to them. And, and that will work through, sir, somewhere they're going to be sorry and say we need to return to the Lord. In John 
in John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father, but from the world. For the world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Why am I putting this in here? I'm putting it in there because sometimes you think you get an answer to prayer. It comes out of your selfish desire and you get an answer, but it wasn't God that heard it at all because of your selfishness. It was the enemy. You need to be aware of that. So let's have a better plan. God wants desperately to hear your prayers and to answer them. He desires so much to speak directly with you that he allowed his only son to die in your place so that he could not only give you eternal life in heaven, but also to have fellowship with him. Oh, Father, help us in this situation of prayer. May we learn from this, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.